Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 24. Are you excited to be here this morning? I hope we are, and I hope a simple review of this psalm will encourage you that what you do today can accomplish a lot for you, your family, and our church. This psalm is rather easily divided into three separate sections. The first section, verses 1 and 2, speak of the Lord's creation and His ownership of the world. Verses 3 through 6 speak of those who seek God and who will receive His blessing. And verses 7 through 10 speak of the glory of the Lord. Please follow along with me as I read this psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. As we begin in verse 1, this is a very important thought for us and could be the first lesson you teach your children. The earth and the world are the Lord's. They only operate... By his power, as is stated in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, which say, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. We are the Lord's. We also are the Lord's in the fact that He bought us, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 19 and 20. We should live our life and make our decisions based on the fact that we are not our own, but we are the Lord's. As we move to verse 2, it speaks to how the earth was formed. And as we learn in the first chapter of the Bible, in verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 1, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. What power did it take to take a massive body of water and bring out dry land that can reach as high as 29,000 feet? As we will see in a minute, only one could. It was the Lord, strong and mighty. With such a powerful being, it is only a natural question to want to know if it is possible to ever meet or to be able to stand with this Lord. Excellent. And as such, verse 3 asks the question, who, or rather, what kind of person is able to ascend or stand in the Lord's hill? This hill of the Lord here is mentioned numerous times in the Bible and refers to the range of mountains that include both Mount Zion, where Jerusalem was, and Mount Moriah, where the temple was built. But for our purpose, this is more than a physical location in Israel. 
but rather that Mount Zion that is above with the heavenly Jerusalem, as is stated in Hebrews 12, verse 22. Verse 4 gives us four characteristics of those that are able to ascend and stand with the Lord and are accepted with them. Two of the four are more outward, which involve the hands and mouth, and the other two are more inward, referring to the heart and spirit. A great cross-reference for verses 3 and 4 is Psalm 15, which my brother Nathan presented to the church about six months ago. But I ask you, and what we should all ask ourselves, which of these are we failing in? Which of these four things do we need to ask the Lord to help us with? Are you more of an outward person that your sins are easier to see? Or do you have thoughts and problems with your heart or your spirit? This is a great verse to use when you're trying to self-examine yourself. For it covers speech, action, thoughts, and motives, which is pretty much our entire lives. Lord, convict us to examine ourselves and give us your strength to do better. As we move into verse 5, we are told that we will not only be able to be in the presence of the Lord, but that He's going to give us blessings if we try to live a righteous life. The great God who we just read about, who formed the earth and owns it all, is willing to give us blessings that we cannot receive if we will but try to cleanse our lives and live for Him. He can and should require us to live it purely based on the fact that He owns us, as we discussed in verse 1. But He is merciful and gracious, and He offers us a reward for doing the things that should be considered our reasonable duty. The second part of the verse is another mercy from the Lord. And that is, even though our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags, He still accounts it as righteousness and accepts it from us. As we move to verse 6, we need to be careful. For if not properly understood, it can have us believing that only a particular group of people can seek the Lord. And that was a generation long ago that was seeking a patriarch's face who died hundreds of years before. So we must properly divide. The first phrase is, this is the generation of them that seek him. And we must use the correct definition of generation here, or we are stuck believing that only a certain group of people in a 20 to 40 year time gap were the ones that can seek the Lord. We understand that the word generation refers to a certain type of person, not necessarily a group defined by time. The generation in reference here are the ones who are fulfilling the characteristics that mentioned in verse 4. The Bible uses generation this way many times, and for one example, you can look at Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 14, where each of the verses start, there is a generation, and it gives characteristics that are described, not necessarily something defined by time. The second phrase from verse 6 reads, that seek thy face, O Jacob. We are slaves to context, and the context dictates that we are, fate, we are seeking the Lord's face, not the face of a dead man. Right. Reference throughout this psalm that, about what it is speaking about. This is not the only place in the Bible where a word is missing, and if we don't add it back, we will mess up the interpretation. If you look at Proverbs 18, verse 22, it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Is there a word missing? Yes, a good wife. For if anybody that found a wife found a good thing, half of Proverbs is useless about the odious woman because any man that finds a wife would find a good thing. We understand that there is a word missing there, and the word is good before wife. As is evidenced by my choice of psalms, I love psalms that contain selahs. I love that the Lord, God of heaven, told us there are particular times he wants us to stop and consider. There has been one continuous thought from verses 3 to 6, and it is 
those who desire the presence of the Lord, the effort it takes to get there, and the blessing we will receive if we put forth the effort. Stop and consider that the creator and sustainer of the world is offering you blessings if you will but put forth the effort in your reasonable duty. As we move into the third and final section of the psalm, I want to make a point after what we heard on Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study called Right Side Up or Spatial Disorientation. And the point is, do we keep a proper view of the Lord in mind? The world, our flesh, and most aggressively the devil want us to think of God Almighty as a weak cotton candy God who is watching from a distance. But this is a lie. And we, and we are constantly bombarded with trying to think of God that way. Our God from these verses is strong and mighty. Amen. He is mighty in battle. Yes. He is the Lord of hosts. And He is the King of glory. Amen. He is the dominator of the world. And the most powerful creature to ever rebel against Him, the devil, is being held in chains of darkness to suffer torment for all eternity. Yes. Just think about the battle that, tried, that Satan tried to wage excuse me, wage against the Lord. The Lord won, and Satan is still suffering the consequences of that. His name is also Jealous, and he will not give his glory to another. And this can apply to us. If we do not keep a proper view of God in mind, we do not give him and praise him in all his glory and strength, we are, in a way, not giving God the proper glory that he deserves. As we determine what event is being talked about in verses 7 through 10, we've come up with four possible events or a practical application that can be applied. The first event could have been David when he was able to take the Ark of the Covenant into the new temple he pitched, um, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is the same event where David danced before the Lord with all his might. This could be speaking of that event. It also could be speaking of the event where Solomon dedicated the temple and the glory of the Lord descended, so much so to fill the house that the priest could not enter. There is a third event that we hear about in the the Messiah, and it is part of the great mystery of godliness from 1 Timothy 3.16, when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was received up into glory after his ascension. We just had a couple of sermons on this from Revelation 4 and 5 where we were reminded of what a glorious event occurred when Jesus Christ came, took the books, and opened the seals. As we are on this side of the events, we are able to look and apply the progressive revelation that the Lord has given us, as we just learned in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. David could have been writing about the Lord Jesus Christ here, but he did not fully understand them. But the Lord, in his mercy, putting us where we are, can see, and these... uh, Mysteries are ministered and revealed unto us. But I want to excite you this morning because there's a fourth application we can take from these verses. And this should excite us because it involves right now. While this may not have been David's original intention for these last four verses, we can put a practical application on it because we are the house of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And then also in 1 Peter 2, we are referred to as lively stones and a spiritual house. Yes. We are the house of God. So we need to lift up our heads and lift up our gates. Because yes. we are, we, we can be considered the gates and the doors. Yes. Right. So I ask you this morning, what if I told you that Jesus Christ is walking around his golden candlesticks and desires to enter this place? How excited are we? Yes. 
The king of glory desires to come into this church and to be a part of this. Are we excited to be here? Is there anything that's more exciting in this world? If it is, Lord, forgive us. There is another Selah here. So I ask you, consider the four events that we talked about. Either David, Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, or even right now. Yes. Lord, help us to be excited. And Lord, please come in, accept, be pleased, and visit us on our worship this morning. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.